Touch them all, Joe! <laughs> Andy Crosby, the golden goal! Hello, everyone, and welcome. If you're not familiar with the experiential media company, Homestand Sports, you've hopefully heard of their catchy properties like Puck Talks or Pitch Talks, and I'm sure there are others that today's guest and founder will tell us about. So, Kevin Kennedy, welcome to the Backstage Project podcast, and just ask a simple question to start. How you doing? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for having me on. So, we've had so many great chats over the years, and I've attended your events from both the crowd or the bar or behind the scenes, and I always loved what what you were doing now, admittedly uh not just through covid but for a few years now i don't think i've been able to attend the events but I, but I know you've expanded greatly so i think for the audience just to start us off so they're not wondering what homestand is tell us a little bit about homestand sports yeah so before covid uh homestand was you know predominantly a live event company um we did ex- we did experiences for sports fans we we ran our events at venues, concert venues. Um, I had a, a partnership with The Athletic, which took us across North America doing events for, for them, for their subscribers. Um, post-COVID, we're an online content and event company now. Um, and I think I think that's that's really been interesting, um, you know, and, and but yeah, like Homestand Sports, I think we focus on authentic interactions with fans and and we've even even though we've moved online we're we're, we're still we don't really still see, we don't see, our, see ourselves as a media company we see ourselves still as a live event company the, the events now happen online you still got to register you know you still have to to be and in, be involved and you can still interact so we've tried to really keep the main features of our shows in place intact so that's where we're at now um, so let's just, so we have it clear, just yeah. list off the sports that you cover and, and, and maybe the names. Yeah. So, yeah. So our, our products or brands include puck talks, hoop talks, footy talks, pitch talks, tackle talks. We've even done a tennis talks in the past year as, as well. Um, you know, the tackle talks has a lot of uh, focus on rugby and football, American football. Um, and we've done, done events with the Toronto Wolfpack, rugby, Canada, on that front and NFL Canada. And uh, so, and then, yeah, the, those are our talks. And what kind of business model do you have for the, the talks that are more purposeful for an organization? Yeah, that's a good question. So with Rugby Canada, they, they, they were hosting Canada Sevens in Vancouver and they wanted to host a watch party for, for the event here in Toronto. They wanted to sort of expand. A lot of their, their audience is based in Western Canada. So we work with them to host an event at the rec room here in Toronto for their fans. So during the day, we hosted a, a big experiential event and uh, with a panel discussion and gave them what they wanted. And so the events that I've been to, and um, I'd say as you've evolved, the, the stage has gotten bigger. Well, up yeah. until a point through this COVID, we're not going to focus too much on COVID except for the evolution of, of the business yeah. models uh, of you and others through it. But, you know, I remember, you know, going to a great bar and uh, great setup and, you know, um, local sportscasters were, were up there. Um, they were working for various media companies. And what, what I really loved about it was how raw it was. Um, these are these are people who were used to being generally polished. Um, whether that's, that's whether it's on TV, predominantly. I mean, some of the radio folks 
are we already know are not as polished as the TV folks. But when they're on stage with you, and I'm really thinking about one in particular um, where you had on um, Andy Petrello. And I'm sure yeah. she's been there multiple times, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and she's dropping F-bombs and she's so happy about it. What is yeah. that? What is that trust that, that these these people who are otherwise very guarded have in you and your format um, that that made you so successful in those early days? Yeah, I think what uh, what is the most important thing for for planning an event like ours or uh, you know planning a gathering is is the venue. They, I think the venue in general is is not like thought about enough in terms of what it what environment it, it creates the w- how it drives actually the content of, of of a show because it makes people feel comfortable and and I think the show that you're talking about happened at, at the Rivoli in Toronto which is an historic live music venue uh, tons of bands have played there the ground sticky uh you can you know there's lots of beer people are eating nachos and it's dark right it's kind of dingy and that's really really important that sends a message to not only the the crowd in there how they react but to the people on 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 stage right you get into a rock club you you feel the energy in there even you know among your your peers among the 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 people on 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 stage and there there is a level of anything can happen right in that environment so i think that's crucial because even if you were to put all the same people right all the same talent and speakers in a boardroom right for a seminar totally different show right but when when the show starts at 9 p.m. right and there's beers on stage and and the spotlights on you it's a different environment and i think that is what sort of that's where it begins and 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 yeah i'd like to think too that when when i build the show and i just i like explain to them what we're trying to get out of the show this is i want to offer them the one place where they can be honest and and tell long stories and tell authentic stories and if it calls for a swear word here here and there let's go for it yeah listen, i i've really enjoyed the ones i've been to i think quickly for the audience i want to jump into another one that i also remember this one was a big format, the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto, and you had uh, you had Mark Shapiro, and uh, that's the CEO of the, uh, the president of the Blue Jays, and it was at a time when the Jays were started the season with an offer. I don't remember exactly how far into that they were. It might have been like zero and ten or something. Yeah, zero and ten, zero and twelve. Yeah. And, and you have Mark Shapiro on stage. Tell me what that's like. I mean, it's uh, I think. I think it was great to have him up there. I'm not going to say from what I remember that he gave a lot of decisive answers, but you know, executives like that, that's not always their role, but that, that event in particular, he was booked in advance of that streak and he still went through with that. Like as as an event producer, what are you thinking about as you're like, Oh my God, like I have such an amazing name coming to this event and it's absolutely the worst time for him to be open mic in front of fan base. (laughs) Yeah, I know I'm I'm stressed about it at the time, but uh, I have to give him a lot of credit. You know, I think it it speaks to to him as a person. You know that I don't think in his mind there was any doubt he was coming. And I and I remember that night actually. I went. Um, he 
before the show started, he called he he called me from his car because he couldn't like figure out there there was sort of a backstage place for him to park and he couldn't figure out. So I went outside and I, and I hopped in his car, um, and I, I showed him where to go and and it was and it was, I, I've always been very impressed by by him because of his he's he's quite fearless and and I you know I ask myself that question all the time why why do these people say yes right. Uh, I'm sure there are people in their office. I know there was that didn't want him to do it. Even, even at, at any point, even when it's high, because it's such a vulnerable time, right? Our questions are not screened at all, right? The microphone is just out in the audience, hot, right? And, and sometimes that's, that's, that backfires a little bit, but, but ultimately I think, you know, when you go through these shows over, over and over again, the, 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 the fear or is, is really unwarranted, right? Because everybody in there has paid money to see this person talk about baseball, right? And there's just a, an understood like amount of respect. So when you, when you have that group in there, there, it really is a safe environment, even when things aren't going your way, because you've made a commitment to come on stage right? And the audience really can see you, they can respect it. And they also have to, if they want to ask a hard question, they have to ask it to your face, right? Yeah. They're it not really does. behind some random Twitter account. The- yeah. So it really does keep everybody honest. And, and when, and it, it actually, in terms of like, if, if you have that, if you're that brave as a, as a president and you're that secure, the upside totally outweighs the downside, right? He, I've seen him, I've seen him after the first one convert so many people who came in sort of angry or disappointed or, or, or upset and left thinking, wow, this guy is great. I trust this guy. I love the Blue Jays a little bit more. That's the kind of feedback that I think people need to understand is that we, we, we get sidetracked much of the time because of the trolls. We know that people are less afraid to even use their own name these days. Uh, it's just the reality of our times, but still facing someone yeah. like kind of person to person is, is challenging for, for people, even, even the most opinionated. And, and, and I know you talked about the kind of anxiety that you have, you know, helping like t- for the event coming that day, helping guests even find out where to go in the venue. I remember events where, and I'm thinking more, I want to expand more about your role here. I, I remember events where you just ran out of beer and you had to go make a beer run. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Those are the good old days too. When we were turning out a lot of beer over at 918 Bathurst in, in the old converted church. Yeah. Those were a lot of fun. Yeah. No. And I, and I never got, I, you know, going, going into like the origin story, I, I never thought like I tell people that our, our like our first show happened in a basement with about 90 people. Right. And the, I've never, there wasn't a big plan where I said I need to do, I have this like model where I need to do 30 shows a year and make a thousand bucks a show. And, you know, one show, the first show, it just happened because I just thought that I came from a background. I used to, to promote concerts and put together concerts. And I thought, man, like we could use the same format, right? And we could, instead of bands, we put media people on stage. And I knew that they had the good stories because I was an intern at the, at the hockey news and I was at morning skates and I would stand around outside the dressing room and I'd see Friedman and Chris Johnston and Bob McKenzie, Pierre, Pierre, Pierre Lebrun, you know, hovering around in their own little, little group that I wasn't a part of, but I was behind them listening in and I would hear the real stories. 
And I was like, these, these aren't stories that I'm hearing in Hockey Night in Canada, right? These aren't stories that I'm hearing in Sports Center. And I thought, if, but they're really interesting. And if I, if I put these guys on stage and gave them a microphone, I think people would want to see it. And I think they would want to be there. And I think those guys want to tell those stories because like they, they have such a small, you know, a small opportunity on TV or radio to tell to, you know, so they really have to compress what they're talking about. Right. And then one show became two. The first show was sold out with Shai Davidi and John Lott. And the day before it happened, I sent a cold email to Dan Schulman and I said, you know, here's this show. The first one's happening here. The next one is going to be in two weeks. Do you want to do it? And he said, yes. If he doesn't say yes, like there's probably not another show. You know what I mean? And, and it two became three. And then we ended up in that church, you know, um, just running out of beer, you know, because what our thing was, it was like rock and roll sports, you know, and, oh, and you and, get a name like, Dan Schulman. I know there's so many amazing Canadian broadcasters. So I, I, don't, I don't want to single out Dan above course, yeah. everyone else, but you know, Dan, for many of us who grew up in Toronto and um, he was the voice of the Blue Jays when they made their run. So this is not for the millennials, but for those a little older. Yeah. And like, I, I remember, and I, I love getting my own little stories out when I can during this podcast. Let's hear it. But uh, I remember I was, uh, I was called for jury duty uh, and I live just North of the city. So it's in part of York region. So it was, far up in Newmarket, I guess, is where the courthouse is. And uh, and I'm there, and I'm in this big room if ever, anyone who ever has gone for like jury selection. So there's probably 500 people there. And uh, and I noticed this like tall, bald man, and I'm like, wait a second, that's Dan Shulman. I, Dan, I guess, also lives in York Region. And then they don't say your name when they kind of call you. And I was assuming he was going to get out of jury du- duty anyway. But I just remember them saying his, you know, juror number this, and the, and the, they say your profession, so sports broadcaster. And so you have a room of 500 people, and it's like being on a subway. Like, no one is looking at anybody. Right. And then all of a sudden, they say sports broadcaster, and, and Dan is a strapping man, and everybody turns their head. Of course, I already knew he was in the room, and I positioned myself. Right. So I could get a chance to talk to him, but that didn't happen. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. fun little Dan story. But the, the content format that you're talking about, it's it's like an Ask Me Anything, or it's like a lot of what podcasts are now doing for athletes, um, maybe not athletes who are currently playing, but certainly retired athletes or athletes who have become uh, more media personalities. Um, but the format that you have is, especially in the live environment, it's so much more because let's face it, whoever's listening to this podcast, you know, maybe they're going for a walk, maybe they're going for a drive, wherever, wherever they are in this moment, but they're not with, 100 200 300 other people who are so passionate in this exact moment and want to be there and have had maybe you know some bubblies or so, some drinks to go with it so that it's not about being inebriated but it's certainly about being relaxed and if you go to sporting events in north america maybe the maybe the prop bets isn't as much of a focus at, like it is over in europe when you're watching sporting events maybe it is more about beer and having a good time and so that's that's the environment that i see that you provide but I want you to describe kind of what you are for fans because you're very close to being the actual game itself. Yeah, I think it's about I think it's about trust, right? I think that, and that's the one thing that I I, I struggle with with what we're doing now. In that, before all the content that my company would produce, you you would be in a relationship with, like, there's the fans that are are there, 
and the people on on stage and you're you're a, you're a community for like two hours right you're one unit you're a group now people like you mentioned could be in any kind of environment like watching our our show our footy talk show some people make my comments saying oh i'm watching here from i'm in line at starbucks and they're watching on, on their phone <clears throat> i'm not sure how i feel about that because that that really i'm i've lost the, the control of that part of the environment of how and where you're because it's part of it right the the people on the show now on on video right they don't they can't look into somebody's eyes who's asked them a question and know that they have to answer it honestly because when you're in front of somebody there's a there's a commitment right you, you we're all humans and we have that need to tell each other the truth especially in person that that like dwindles down when there's a, a digital interface right so so i think that that our show i don't know if that answers your question right but that 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 to me is what we built we built that trust in our space and then it, it allowed it wasn't like anybody had to be told to be honest or to be truthful it's just like that's the commitment that everybody made by being in there right in that space well that's a great description you answered the question phenomenally um i absolutely see the challenges challenges of our time i've been involved in many uh many an event a conference uh, an ama that have gone to video and being able to replicate the, that physical experience. I mean, it's impossible. So why don't we just call it what it is? There are certain types of gatherings that it works just fine for. Right. Gatherings that are more corporate that or more educational, where it isn't so much about crosstalk with the people with you. Um, or, But in your world, while those events might cater toward a networking audience, I mean, your world, it's really there is these pockets or tribes, if you will, even within your events of different camps of people from, you know, hardcore to critics to just fans who, you know, want to see their heroes. And it's very difficult with any of these technologies to allow those tribes to gather uh, who are all interested in the same topic and the same speaker. Yeah. And then of course, while there might be opportunities for those speakers to mingle with individuals in any of these technology platforms, and there are a couple that I've used that are pretty good. You know, I think um, the challenge for you is to experiment with your format and and not rely on, well, if I put it on Facebook or I put it on Instagram, like live stream, I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know, I can create that community. If I put it on Twitch, I can do that too. I mean, these are all great avenues that are there that are established. Some you can monetize easily. Facebook yep. just launched a paid events feature. I don't know if you noticed that last week. No. Uh, so there are ways for you to evolve your business. Um, but you're kind of, what you're doing is you're adapting it to the technology yeah. instead of being the event producer and experiential guy that I know you are. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't, uh, honestly, I, I don't know if long term I want to keep doing this, this online version of our shows. It just in, in, in terms of like, I don't know, I know it doesn't lead to, to the outcome that I, I built my business on. Right. I know that it, it, it's just, so part of me just says, just says, just thinks we should just take a break from trying to do the same thing online. Cause it's not going to work. Right. So why not try to do something totally different? Right. That like you mentioned, that's a little bit more educational that like fits, fits what we have 
tech-wise and is a little bit more appropriate. I mean, I think we're in a good spot um, in in terms of our, especially with our, our footy talk show. We just launched a new hoop talk show. I don't know if you saw that with the, the dishes and, and dimes folks. And and yeah, it's all we got right now. So so I'm okay with it. But I, you're right. I, I don't know if, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, honestly, if this is, what I want to be doing. And I've, I've been working on a few, like in terms of like this online events where the interaction is through this interface, I'm not sure. I, I, I've been working on other, my company has been, been working on some documentary type of content where we sort of, we think about, we use our network. I've been, I've been listening to stories. Like you can imagine how many shows I've, you know, in the past like five years, we've, 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 we've done about, 410 shows i've been listening to stories for six years you know so i know what what stories are out there i know what fans are interested in and i'm 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 trying to think about should i then maybe tell stories in a long form produced way longer form um in addition to my live event you know uh, products well it sounds like there's a great collaboration uh, between homestand and the the backstage project podcast yeah Hey, we'll see, you know, I'm excited about it. And, 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 and I, I was able to dabble in that with our relationship with, um, the athletic, we produced a series of of podcasts on on there where we took, we went behind the scenes on, we took their big, big stories, like the story on Ray Emery and his, his uh, uh, tragic uh, death, some stories on like drug use in hockey. And we really went, went deep in terms of like the process of the writer how they got the story out there, how they uncovered it. Um, I think that there's something like there. I mean, truth be told, I don't know, you know, we're all trying to figure out what, what the audience is looking for. And I think every, you know, we have a great partnership now with uh, TFC and they're trying to figure out how do they engage with their fan base, right? How do they have those meaningful, authentic, you know, interactions they're doing drive-ins, right they're doing our shows but they you know and sometimes i don't i don't know for sure if the way to to do that is through with technology you know yeah there is this capacity to experiment that people like us uh, we we need to have uh, because we're not we're not satisfied with what I would say our future being dictated to us. Um, we already heard this out of Kevin today, for those who have gotten to know me over our recordings of, of this podcast. Hopefully you've learned that as well, that um, we like to control our own fate. And so this, this um, concept of experimentation and being able to fail, and I'm not, I won't use the cliches of failing fast because I like to call it learning and experimentation. So if you have some idea and I'm speaking more in my product voice now than I am in my you know, sports host voice. But if we have some idea of the, the business outcome that we want, and ultimately because you know, these businesses are for profit, these are not charities, um, we need to make money. But if we have some idea what those metrics are, then we have some ability to say, did we achieve what we needed to? Or did we see enough traction to say, this is something I'd like to iterate on and make better or try differently? Because I think right now, and I can only speak for you know my own media usage, um, the television's really not going on. I mean, sports is on. I am at this moment. You know, we're we're talking. Kevin and I are talking. At the end of August, the Raptors are on the verge of the second round of the NBA playoffs. 
we're not clear if there's going to be a boycott or not. Boycotts have already begun by the time we're recording this. Um, so this is even further complicating really what was a little bit of a break that we had from trying to make sure we watched all the latest Netflix or Amazon yeah. Prime shows. And I got bored of that by about June, let's say. So about two months ago from the time we're kind of recording this. And yeah, once you get through Tiger King, fuck, what else is there? Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and this is so for... For your format, for Homestand, I think that, I mean, my advice, I'll give you advice here. I mean, experimentation I mean, without making a lot of bets. I think this is the point where you don't have to make, and when I say bets, I mean big bets. Like we have to pour a lot of money into something. Stick, stick to your format, test it, and see what traction comes of it. And I think that what you just described already, a little more longer form content, feature-esque content, like this this is the the ability for that content to be found because people are looking for what to watch. Right. If we talk about the last dance for a minute, and I know I mentioned it a few times in this podcast episode to episode, but like the last dance, we all know how the story ended, but did any of us have access that, you know, the NBA had to record or ESPN, I think had to record this content and, and then pair it with all of those athletes, you know, 20 years later. I mean, it was um, not, you didn't have to like every moment of every episode, but you knew the players, you knew the personalities. And even if we just focus on, you know, a few of them from the, from the coaching staff to a couple of prominent players and outside of Michael, like the stories are unbelievable. And for me, I mean, one of the things that stood out that I didn't really understand at the time was just how bad boys the Pistons really were. That was one of these stories. I'm like, oh my God. And what Isaiah Thomas, I love you, but my, my goodness, you're you're a shit and like and how how crazy basketball was and how violent it was at, at the, how physical it, it was at that time shocking like compared to what you know what it is now it was really rough back then too and yeah like so are you so 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 i know you're involved in a lot of sports but are what what i've found so it's been great i think there's a silver lining uh to the pandemic now in terms of my, i got an, an an intervention happened right in all of our lives and all of our businesses we it allowed me to to really zoom out and say okay because you're so busy right and and i'm sure you've had this experience where i i had trouble saying no to certain business that ultimately, like, I, if I had, if I, if I had more foresight, I would have said, you know, that's not worth that bet or that. So you're talking like and, pre-COVID kind of. Yeah, it was we were so busy, right? We had like the rec room was a great client. We we're pouring a ton of events in there, and and that was that was great. But again, it's like as a small business, you don't really know when to say no, because you don't, you know, you're just not sure about where the business is going to, going to go. You're, you're watching your cash flow, all this stuff, you know, now sort of you're forced to just stop. Then you're forced to like my, my, my team like became very small and you can, and I was homeschooling my kids. I could work three hours a day, basically at that time for three months. So I could really only focus on the things that were like going to make money right now. And also the things that I, loved right i can only focus on a small amount, amount of things and it was so everything sort of crystallized at that point right what do i care about right what do i not care about you know what i don't care about anymore hockey hockey's fucking boring like to me now because as you mentioned before you're talking about where, where are the stories their stories are their features people what's interesting 
I don't find that in, in hockey, right? I don't find that in the athletes. I don't find that in the coverage. I don't, I don't find, I, it's not there for me. I don't know what happened overnight or over a few years. Same thing with baseball. It's not there. You know where I'm interested in? I'm interested in basketball and I'm interested in soccer. I feel like the culture around basketball is just so fascinating. The intersection between basketball and fashion and music and soccer and the the people, the, the players, you know, they, they have come from all different backgrounds. And with soccer, it's like, especially being a Canadian, it's like just, it's so, it feels so vast, right? There's so much I have to, to learn. It's a tiny audience at the moment, right? But it oh, is. You're, you're hitting on it. You're hitting on it. It's like you, you got it in the sweet spot. We'll use the baseball analogy. Yeah. Because you just diss baseball. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, right now we're having a moment. Like I mean, for basketball, it's been a number of years um, with prominent Canadians. I mean, Wiggins, I mean, because he's not playing right now in the bubble, his, uh, they didn't make it. We yeah. don't really see him. But um, it's amazing to see where Canadians have come in that game. And of course, with Black Lives Matter. And how closely connected that is to all of sport, uh, in particular basketball right now. Um, these folks, these these folks that we already adored and admired, now they're speaking in a way that we're not used to that. And 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 we're listening. And unfortunately, and maybe it's to do with demographics, maybe it's to do with the fact that basketball players are very exposed. They're just wearing shorts and tank tops. You know, they're not yeah. all covered up. Um, they're not in this huge field like we have on baseball where again, they're generally covered up and they're playing way too many games. Um, you know, we're in this, we're in this phenomenon where those players speak to us and we already know from soccer and for, from a Canadian context, like right now, kind of, as we're recording this podcast, um, you know, the, not the best Canadian soccer player ever, but right now the most visible Canadian player, Alfonso Davies, you know, playing for Bayern Munich, they just won UEFA Champions League. And so all of the sudden, soccer in Canada, which has got phenomenal coverage, by the way, but it's generally been geared toward the women's team. And in particular, Christine St. Clair, who's the greatest women's soccer player of all time, as measured by goal scored in both league play and international competition. You know, is Alfonso Davies going to be the male version of Christine St. Clair? Is he going to be as great as you know, Wayne Gretzky was in terms of a Canadian who dominates a sport? the way that both Gretzky and Sinclair have, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's very hard in the male game for Alfonso Davies to be the greatest player ever. Mm-hmm. But at this moment, he tells an incredible story. He's an immigrant. His family comes to Edmonton. You know, And we, we are going to have other podcasts, by the way, that talk about soccer a little more in particular. So I'm not going to go into all that with Kevin today because neither one of us are the soccer experts. But there's a question that comes to mind, which is you know, if the MLS doesn't get created in the 90s if the mls and canada soccer and Concacaf don't allow expansion into canada because we don't have a domestic professional men's soccer league mm-hmm. if we don't have the vancouver whitecaps you know do we even find alfonso davies in edmonton right and so these are the kind of things where you look at um the part of the country he's from where he was born where he's gone i mean he is he is a beacon of canada i mean he is the story that, and I don't want to overly critique hockey, but that's not the storylines that we get from the NHL. It's just not that case. No, and not only that. As 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 so, I come I come at my business very specifically as from a fan, right? I don't as much as we we generate content. I personally have no interest in in being a pundit 
I don't really have strong opinions, like typically on like, you know, the top three lines on, on the Leafs, you know, like I, I like to watch, I'm, but I, but I'm a fan, I'm a fan of the first and my, I'm lucky enough to be able to go to Leaf games and go to Raptors games and, and where am I more comfortable, right? I'm most comfortable at a TFC game. I feel the least condescended to as a fan there. I feel the most real relationship with that club. And, and I think it has to do with the fact that that sports, uh, that sport doesn't allow for a constant, you know, ads and contests. There's no stoppages. So you just get to sit there and see the game 45 minutes. Right. And that, I think the, the nature of the sport really, it prevents this sort of other kind of noise that, that sort of happens. Right. And, and even at the Raptors games, I just feel more comfortable because I look around at a Raptors game and I think, Oh, this is the Toronto that I have grew up in. Right. You know, I go to a Leaf game. That's not how I feel. Right. Well, you must have seats that are too good at a Leaf game. Cause I have, and I, I have greens. All, oh, I you have greens. Green. So I've sat up in the corners. My dad has, my has, has greens. And believe me, there we sell we sell most of them because our family can't can afford can barely afford to go anymore. But yeah, we have greens. Yeah. Well, when you sit up in the corners where you, where you can buy single game tickets, and there's only like 500 single game tickets available for games, so I I don't wait for handouts for tickets. If I want to go to the Leafs, yeah, I buy the tickets. And so I've sat up in the corners, and that's and that's Toronto up there. It, certainly, when you're in different parts of the stadium, it is not a picture of Toronto. It's a picture of parts of Toronto. Right. But it's not Toronto, and that and that's an interesting phenomenon in this city. I mean, I've been to basketball, hockey, baseball, and all kinds of other cities around North America, and um, for sure, baseball and hockey are much different than basketball. We're not going to debate all of that here, right? Um, but we have to agree that the fan bases, and that's why I really wanted to ask you earlier, which we've gotten to around what need are you serving with fans, and and you did a great job describing that. Now, when you think about what you're doing with fans. And what others are doing with fans, maybe in different formats. Do you spend any time thinking about competitors? And and when I say competitors, I mean other people that are trying to occupy your space. And they could very well be frenemies or even partners uh, who just maybe they're jealous of your audience or maybe you're jealous of their reach. Like yeah. there's a competitive side to you here. I know you seem like a really cool guy, you know, and uh, humble, but there's something in there that, that's driving you. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that I, I, when it comes to competition, I, I really want, uh, and I, and I sent a very emotional email like a few weeks after the pandemic started, thanking um, like Luke Wildman, Stephen Caldwell, and uh, Kristen and Jack for just like we we launched our show just when when it all got shut down, and. And, uh, just saying like, it really uh, kept me busy and I'll get around to, to the answer in a second, but you know, it was, um, it was an, an important moment. And I, in that, in that, that letter, I also said, guys, you know, here in football in Canada, I'm because there, there, there's always going to be sort of issues. These guys work for TSN, right? TSN has got to be okay with it. And we're sort of living in these sort of margins. We all want to keep. And I just wanted to be very clear and say, listen, I am going to work with anybody and everybody. I am not going to block people. I'm not going to be ter territorial, right? I'm not going to try to steal that. I'm going to be, I'm going to, if anybody wants to talk to me about 
what I do, what, whether, how I use zoom, whether I have a webinar account, like any of my little like tricks, I'm going to share it because I really believe that we have to, we have to change in Canada because you know who loses? Cause you're in these, you're like, I've been in the boardrooms at Sportsnet, and, and they are so ter- territorial that you know who fucking loses? We do the fans, right? Because they don't share information. They block their talent from doing stuff. They, they are, they are trying to have their own little corner and it doesn't, you know, competition is good. And that we, we, we need more media. It's like, I don't see any other, I think about, I always, I, I, I feel like I get pulled into wanting to be a media company. Right. Cause I kind of like, I like to, I love the ringer and I'm like, Oh, we should have a Canadian ringer. Right. Like we could do all these cool videos. I could hire all these cool young people. Right. And then I, I get a newsletter from the hustle and it says, you know, Sports Illustrated has laid off 50 people. They have the athletic lit a 50 people. And I'm like, hey, hang on a second. I can't be in the media business if these companies can't fucking pay their employees. Sportsnet lays off all the soccer people, right? And and I think, but I get pulled into there because I I, I want to do it, right? But then the business side of me says, this is not a good business, right? So when it comes to competition, what I try to do is I try to just get in, create my own game and like be the only person in that playing that game specifically. And it narrows my, my audience, right? It, it narrows who I'm going to, you know, who I'm going to be able to appeal to, but I've learned over, over time because I've spent a lot of money in my, my company. I've got, I've ebbed and flowed to 20 persons on the staff to now three and, and in between it was 10 and five and whatever. And so I've really, I've decided that I need to find where I fit in and try to not try to be, try to be different. Right. And it is really a matter of, 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 of avoiding getting pulled into different directions. I think, you know, I would rather the competition is like the, the people that I, that I, that I work with doing it themselves. Right. Essentially, like we work with TFC right now, they can do what we do on their own. But I provide my relationship with with the talent. That's that's different. My production skill set that's different. If they want what I'm selling, which is which is independent independence, right? And I and I do I do applaud TFC for really valuing that objective uh, the objectiveness of working with a third party to produce talent. And that's not content. an easy organization. I mean, that's an organization that many facets of it, in particular the soccer side, you know, they, they think that uh, they know it all. So for them to, to reach out to you to drive that forward, that's a huge compliment. To describe a little bit what of what you were um, saying earlier around kind of the, the place in the competitive sphere that you're occupying, you know, I was yeah. thinking about a book by Peter Thiel. So for those of our listeners who don't know Peter, I mean, he was co- one of the co-founders of PayPal. With, and uh, so he wrote a book called Zero to One. And it's all about if you're going to make an effort to build a business, you have to be in a space that is so unique and, and not that, not that Kevin at this point has built, you know, a hundred billion dollar business. We're just, we're still working on that, but still, even on the smaller scale, being able to do something where, and the other words that we used to describe this is, is have your niche. Um, but yeah. in particular in your business, just so everyone understands, it is so relationship based, not just with the people who come on and are front of house, but also for the people that are there. And so having those, in some cases, one-on-one relationships takes a lot of work. And I think that's, uh, 
that's a huge credit to you. I mean, for the passion and commitment that you put into this, like you've built this. Yeah. And just on that front, like our, we did three shows last year with Danny green and with his, his podcast. Right. So I had to work this podcast was with Yahoo. They, they could, you know, anybody can go rent a venue, get a sound system, right. Any, anybody sell tickets, right. It's, it's not, it's nothing. None of that is proprietary. Right. But they had a vision they said, and they knew if they wanted to do this right in Toronto, they, they needed to work with me because they knew that I could provide a turnkey solution and get them on stage and get it sold out. Right. And get it filmed. And then I did a partnership with CBC to get it streamed on CBC. And that's why they worked with me. Right. They, they just wanted to do what they do. Right. Show up and promote, get it, get on stage, tell stories. And then all of a sudden in after they win, which was a nice surprise too, you know, in July, we're, we're sitting in that in that theater on at the X grounds, and Fred Van Vliet's on stage with Superfan and Danny Green, right? And there's a thousand people in the theater, and like that that was a real moment for my company, right? And and I try not to sort of dwell in it a lot, where I'm thinking, but yeah, so much trust had to be in there between me, his manager, and Danny, and everybody had to be like, okay, I'm I'm putting all my 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 value right into this guy or the, this guy's company right like because if it fall, falls apart he doesn't show up you know all these things right but they but they knew they could trust our company congratulations on that i mean that you worked your butt off to get to that moment and, and i think in a canadian context you know that wasn't sportsnet that wasn't tsn that was homestand right one thing i think about a lot too is your is your friend scott mitchell who when i did an event with zone i think you guys i don't know if you're you're there as well with andy cole was there um man united most legend as a guest scott mitchell was there and he came up to me and he says man you're still kicking around eh <laughs> and it was like it was a compliment that he was saying he said to me he said that because it meant it meant a lot to him that got for lunch with with you know with you a few years ago few years before that. And that was really important to him that I was still in the game, right? Because really what's more important than that kind of resilience, right? And that kind of, you know, just being around, hey, hanging around and not quitting when it, when it gets, gets tough. Listen, I, um, thanks for bringing up that story. I, I look back on that. It was probably about five, six years ago. I mean, I, I wish that um, we could have done something more meaningful at that time, but, but I think that um, you got you got a lot of life left in those legs, man. Maybe maybe the jump shot needs need some work, but um, with the way technology is going, with the kind of relationships that you have, uh, and this is something that we'll talk about off of the podcast around business opportunities to work with each other. Because I'm very much still in the game myself, and and trying to evolve the formats. Um, because for again for context, you know the role of being a digital leader at a sports tech company or a sports media company in Canada. I mean, there's not very many people. Um, really the, what's happened is the companies have evolved and whether they have a digital person who's leading media, which they have now on the Rogers side, or they have more programming business people who have kind of absorbed digital and digital hasn't become as strategic, no matter how crazy it is for me to say that digital <laughs> and the media company has not been as strategic as it was 12 years ago, because all the problems are solved and they're solved by major technology companies that we're all familiar with. So what is right. a media company going to solve? And so. 
I think there's a lot that we could do, and we'll, we'll chat about that kind of offline. Uh, well, we have a few questions that we um, that we ask every guest uh, on, on the show, so I'm going to ring some of these off. And I know sure. you have some juicy ones that are that are percolating, and I, I want to make sure that I don't hold you back. So, uh, you know, okay. this is just like uh, let's pretend this is just like one of your talks. Like, sure, just give us the raw, and um, and, and hopefully we can keep it in the record. Okay, <laughs> so. If you had to pick, uh, you know, one moment that is the most memorable kind of in your career, and we'll focus on kind of your homestand sports career, you know, wh- what would you pick? I think um, there's two of them. There's the big show at the Phoenix, the first one with Shapiro, which was after the Leafs, the Jays had done that huge, huge run. And I went, now that's a concerted venue. And I went out and I looked outside and there were scalpers out, out, outside trying to sell, sell tickets to my show, right? And I thought, fuck, this is crazy, right? Like this, 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 these shows, right, where I remember the moment I, th- I thought about them on my couch, right? It, it's crazy to have just an idea, right? And then a few years later, there's like people lined up outside and scalpers trying to sell tickets to a sold-out show, right? Totally ab- ab- absurd. And then last year at uh the the denny green event with which was sold out every the city was just buzzing with, with the raptors right and to, for me to be a, a part of that and see before the doors opened literally a thousand people lined up out, outside waiting to get in like 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 again the, the 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 feeling that you sort of hold the keys to that thing and that it came from your just the stupid idea that you had and to see it come to life you know the the validation that I, that I that I felt in that moment was really special. It's great to be able to to celebrate that. I know sometimes we lose sight of the goal, and I'm sure you enjoyed the moment, but very quickly we're on to the next challenge. Yeah. So you've already mentioned to us that you know, you're very open with um, kind of your secret sauce, if you will, of how yeah. to do what you do. But there are certainly people who are trying, um, and so when they come to you, what kind of advice? Uh, do you, do you give them? And not that they're a competitor. Again, we've already established you have more replacements than competitors, but these are people who you know, want to create unique content, whether it's experiential or whether it's more long form and storytelling. But what, what do you say to people? So one time we, we did a show in, um, I think it was Stratford or Tavistock with Pitch Talks, right? We went out there and I drove with, uh, with Jeff Blair from, uh, from the fan and Sportsnet. I, I, like I drove him out there. He said, we were talking about podcasts and this, that, you know, and he made a comment that like the, the problem now with getting sort of young people and getting them is that they, they, you know, for whatever reason, right. They haven't been able, they're sort of in a sports media university and then they're in an internship and then they're in, in a job. So they know how to technically talk on a microphone. Right. They know how to like, like, you know, the present, right? But they haven't lived an interesting life yet, right? They have no stories to, to, to tell. When Jeff Blair's on, on the radio, probably started his radio career when he was like 50, probably, right? So he had, he had lived an interesting life. He had been a, a beat reporter. So I don't, I don't give them so much of the technical advice, then more like you really have to try to have a, a varied experience and you really have to go and vol- volunteer and that will make you more, more interesting, more trustworthy. Right. And if you want to do what, what I do, I had to write an email and ask people to come and trust me. Right. But 
and and I, and I had to have enough experience at that point for them to trust me, right? You know, I started pitch talks after like working at a bank and and living abroad and blah 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 blah. Like, so I guess it's a roundabout way of saying like you really need to work on you know yourself and your relationships first, and then you can start expanding it. No, it's very very similar answer uh, we had uh, on the podcast, which is it's already out with Kevin Newman. So that's the uh, yeah. Uh, global national news anchor and he was also w5 host and ctv news anchor he gave kind of similar advice to people who want to get into that kind of broadcast news journalism he said like go see the world yeah go travel have those stories so, such a powerful um advice that you that you've just given and uh great to hear that a bunch of our guests are are kind of giving the same advice which is like go and do something yeah like don't expect that just because you're smart or even just because you're connected you're going to get opportunities. You got to, yeah. you got to make it happen. So yeah. our last question for you, and then I'm happy for you to ask me any questions you want. Our last sure. question for you is um, looking back and we can look at early days of homestand. Cause you've had a few different major defined pockets of your career. So why don't we can kind of focus on homestand looking back kind of the early days of homestand. What do you wish you knew then that, that you absolutely know cold now? That's a good question. Um, and, and like, I still struggle with it. I still, so right. If I had known how, um, Instagram and like the way that the, everyone has everyone in, in the public or even everyone in general has become their own brand. Right. I may not have like connected the identity of my business so closely with media, media people in, in, in Canada might've focused maybe because maybe I would have worked on my relationships with athletes a little bit more. Not like, not that I think that these people are less interesting. It's just that since 2014 and until now, like when I used to put a shy Davidi right on stage, in 2015 it was really interesting right people were like i really want to know what he has to say like outside of like twitter and that fast forward till now or, or and really this applies to really any anybody in media everybody 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 in the world is overexposed right we're not thinking wow i wonder what this guy has to i wonder what he's going to say we, we sort of see his whole life or her life online right already and so i i would have I would have felt to be better positioned because I because I felt I was like hanging on to that the past few few years and I was seeing on, on, I'll be honest like like diminishing returns on people wanting to come and see commentators talk about sports on stage the the, the interest was really going going down I had to pivot into doing a lot more watch parties because people were just were just interested in seeing the game and I was able to figure out how to put some experiences around that watch party and have it be, be an enhanced experience. But if I had, if I had been able to predict that I would have maybe made, made that change a little bit earlier. And that's something that it's like, I'm still trying to figure out, right? Like, like why or, or who are people going to be interested in talking? And I don't know if the whole, if this whole part of it is dead because, because potentially as we all become brands, we, we start to think about brand safety. <laughs> And we start, right? Whereas before, 
there was no worry about like uh you know losing your job because of something that you said on 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 pitch talks right is this wasn't going to happen right now everybody is so concerned about their brand and especially in Canada with like the consolidation of media companies right basically just two so what what motivation is a guy on TSN to come on my show and say something controversial right let's say he yeah. gets fired where is he going to go sportsnet is going to have where are these guys where's kiprios where are these guys they're just gone they're on the you know maybe they're not gone but right don sherry gone and they're gone and so don is a little bit different so we won't go there but you know nick is a great example like they're gone and and they didn't even do anything wrong no like they're just gone they're just gone so so it, it makes me think why is this a good place for me to be investing right when and it could just be gone like that that's something that i think about where i might have learned i might have been hanging on to that a little bit too long but that's because i have the i had those great relationships with those media people right and i just was like yeah it goes both ways i mean to be honest with you they're 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 probably friends more than they are just relationships mm -hmm. and you probably felt a little bit of responsibility to give them the platform right and i guess but i'm also mark i'm I'm personally kind of frustrated because where can I get content from a, like about the clubs that I care about, right? This is not from a person that's employed by the same company. No, we saw the example and and I'm not going to I'm not going to pick a side too aggressively, but we saw the example with uh, you know Austin Matthews and his positive covid test, right. which eventually came out as true. And you know Steve Simmons, I guess broke it uh, and nobody came to his defense and think what you want about Steve Simmons yeah if if it was something else if that was Bob McKenzie that broke that or on the other side if that was Elliot Friedman let's say like everybody would be supporting it the team would be supporting it right it's it's just the objectivity and let's let's call it what it is the censorship of media because of the oligopoly right in, in sports right and i really want like why do i have to go to Stephen a smith right to get what what feels like at least in at, whether it's the truth or not at least it feels like it's his truth at least it feels like when i hear him talk about the leagues whether whether espn has the broadcast rights or whatever you know what i mean i'm getting the truth or at least his truth Right. Well, a lot of this goes back to, and now we're talking into territories we didn't plan to, and we'll no. see how this goes. But this all goes back to something simple. If I can defend Bell and Rogers, you know, and others, it's the CRTC, and there are other industries in Canada that are also very protectionist. But the CRTC does not allow for true competition, objective competition in Canada. ESPN should have wholly acquired you know, TSN 20 years ago. And made it more of an authentic platform. But because of that connection back, because the business models are super challenged, you know, today more than ever with, with the absence of live sports, like I am quite concerned of where this goes. Right. Because Sportsnet and TSN, they are the cash cows of those media companies. But the revenues of each of those divisions, you know, what are they? 10%? Right. 15% of the overall revenue of the telecommunications companies that own them. Right. So what happens 
when those telecommunications companies don't think they need the advertising distribution for their telco products, what happens to those assets? Right. What happens to the sports teams that they own with those assets? These are all the questions we're not going to solve on this podcast. But this is kind of the future that we're looking at. Right. And that, that closes like the loop that I was saying. It's like, so do I, is this where I want to, you know, invest my time? Is this where, what direction do I want to like point home stand in? Right. Is if I'm selling authenticity, right. If that's what I, what what I'm in, where can I get it? Right. And and I can get it in the games, actually, right? I can get it in the watching of, of the game. So that's where my focus is now. Because when I see athletes out there, I, I, still, see, I still see authenticity, right? I see real effort. I, I see it there. That's a great point to end on and uh, a very positive one. It's been awesome to catch up. It was way too long. Yes. I'm glad I created this podcast so I ha- have an occasion to connect with great old friends. It's a good excuse. Thanks so much for joining. Absolutely. No problem. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.